0: Everyone, this is Austin Walker at Giant Bomb. Uh, it's another another edition of Giant Bomb presents today. I am here with Rowan Kaiser, who is the latest of our guest contributors. Thank you so much for joining me, Rowan. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you and I have have been like vaguely acquainted via the internet for a long time, I guess, because we both spent a lot of time as freelance writers. Um, you know, I, I kind of read your stuff for a long time, and and I, I kind of wanted to just chat with you a little bit about like what that's like and. Kind of elucidate what that means for our listeners who, you know, obviously read a lot of stuff by freelancers, but maybe haven't seen behind the curtain, so to speak. I also say this because. The article that is up on the site now from you is about Drag Age Inquisition's DLC Trespasser, which came out last year at this point. And it's one of these weird truths of being a freelancer is sometimes you start writing a piece or you finish (laughs) writing a piece and then months go by before it actually sees publication because of all of the red tape and stuff that is like outside of anyone's control, you know?
1: Yeah. Or just emails going unresponded to on either side. Totally or on a third side, or
0: <laughs> yeah, right. That's the thing. There's always one more complication than what you think there might be. Um, how long have you been a uh, a freelancer?
1: I've been pretty much a full time freelancer since 2010.
0: Okay, that's that's pretty substantial. It's like six years now. Where did you Where have you written before?
1: Um, I I mostly got my start as doing this in a sort of career path with the AV Club, where I've done Mm. uh, TV reviews primarily. But uh, my video game stuff has been all over. I started with The Escapist back when that was a positive thing to do. And uh, I have worked for sites that have shut down like GamePro and game spy and are you
0: wait are you going to curse us is this it is this the end of giant bomb it, as we know it, it used to be i had that column at joystick for like oh, a year jesus it's been a year today since joystick <laughs> shut down so this is this is uh-oh uh hopefully this is not the curse the the, the kaiser curse but i guess we'll see i will paste and unwinnable are still up and that's I've written true for them yeah
1: and uh i mostly do did recently my pure video game writing has been with uh, Ars Technica and IGN. Right. And I don't think they're closing soon.
0: Probably uh, not. I think both of those are probably in it for the long haul, let's say. So what do you, what do you tend to write about? I mean, like, obviously, we all as freelancers have, have in the past had to do a thing of just like, I'm writing about the thing that is going to get me paid. Like, I'm going to write the article that I know I can sell to, to an outlet. But is there anything that, that really uh, draws you in as a critic?
1: Well, that's one of the interesting things about a freelancer that people may not entirely realize is that it's a lot easier for us to fit in with something that's regular or planned. So I typically write reviews and sometimes right. previews because they need, these sites need a reviewer and I know I will get X amount of money for writing about that. And um, that's not necessarily all that I want to write about, but right. it's by far the easiest thing to do and it takes up enough time that, you know, you can make that your whole thing.
0: Right. And it's tough, too, because, you know, I've actually thought about that a lot lately. Um, Obviously, we're not doing any any freelance reviews right now. None of our guest contributors are doing anything that is like a traditional review. And part of my my reasoning behind that, and again, this is kind of just a peek behind the curtain, is as someone who used to be a freelance writer, the, the kind of the hour to money breakdown there is really rough. Um like you could yeah. get you could get stuck playing a game that can take you twenty, thirty, forty hours for what is not forty hours worth of, of pay. Um and and we do it largely because I think we love games and love writing about games. But but it's it's a rough bargain, man. You know?
1: Uh, this is also this is also like my niche, the thing that has gotten me into these major sites before like i I got hired full time or whatever is that I will review role playing games and strategy games right. and those are the ones that are going to take the most time like I reviewed pretty much every major massively multiplayer role playing game that came out God. for like a three year
0: period. I can't even imagine that because on one hand, I totally get it as, as someone who's an editor now. I think a lot about, like, okay, well, which writer do I know who could tackle this thing? And, and having someone who's a spe- who has a specialty like that, who can say, like, oh, I know Rowan knows MMOs because he's dumped hundreds and hundreds of hours into them, is really useful. But also, just that must have been. I mean, especially in the last five or six years, where in the kind of post WoW boom, in the kind of the decline of MMOs, not to say that there aren't quality MMOs, but in the in the post boom decline, that is, yeah. there are definitely some that maybe weren't so great. Yeah, it's it's sort of I got the uh, the like last gasp of
1: the people who thought they could do the giant subscription thing that everyone would play for ten years. And they sort of came out after it had been realized that maybe there's only room for one, possibly two of them at a time. Right. there is this sort of let's try to make these all single player friendly, and that misses the whole point of everything. And yeah. So, well, at least yeah. you're
0: not reviewing MOBAs now, right? Like that would be yeah. the, the that would be the, the weird pivot you could have made. Uh, you are doing strategy games though, and and you know I would love for you to to occasionally write for strategy games uh, for us in the future too. Um, is there anything in the last couple of years strategy game wise that that stuck out to you? Well, I mean the last couple of weeks more likely
1: I got hmm. with. Uh, Darkest Dungeon and XCOM 2 coming sure. out You've got these two incredibly brutal um, games of just like having recruiting all these characters, falling in love with them, and watching them die over and over. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's a good time. I'm a big for- fan of
0: that. For everybody involved, I know <laughs> my coworker Alex has like 60 hours in the darkest dungeon now. I, I really need to. Part of me is like, I'm going to wait until the Vita comes out, the Vita version comes out, because I, I feel like doing that on the, the subway into work every morning might that be like good. Tomorrow? Is it? Is it that soon? That's good I, to know. I guess it, it used to be. Maybe it was delayed. It used to be, but I think they might have delayed it. Okay. So. Now you have me wondering. I'm going I'm yeah. actually gonna check to see if there's a release date on this live podcast. This is or not live, but. Yeah, I guess I'm not. I think it's just sometime this year. Still, I don't. I yeah. don't know that there's a don't, a final. But I
1: was looking up when the PC version was coming out. Like the Google search said February 5th or something, and I'm Man. like, okay. And then all of a sudden, no, it's actually
0: out now. Right. Yeah. Uh. I, and that that was a pretty big. That seems to have made a pretty big splash. I think that that's a, that's a game that kind of a thing that I think about a lot. And I'm curious if you do too. As someone who's been writing about games for for such a long time now, um, is like it hit its it hit its niche or, or rather i feel like the niche for it has been created over the last few years and i feel yep. like if it had come out two two and a half years ago it would have probably been a miss for so many people but it's it's been poised where people are just familiar enough with the kind of roguelike mechanics and the the death the death stuff that people got familiar with in games like like Xcom um, to where like it really hit its audience. Uh, do you see that happening, like, often? Um, I, I mean, I think
1: there are certain trends that uh, that games will hit, and, like, the roguelike boom, the sort of action roguelike boom hit, you know, a mm-hmm. year or two ago, and uh, then we're getting more of the... I, roguelike is not quite the right word, and yeah. it's not quite my favorite word here, but this sort of um, high-level strategy combined with character customization thing that sure. XCOM really the new XCOM really popularized. And I recently wrote a piece about all the games that are descended from that. And I probably missed several, but that just um, like
0: shows how, how kind of what an impact that game had in terms of, in terms of introducing that set of mechanics to a new audience who was like suddenly really interested in being invested in these little virtual people. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, Um, I think also there's a, a sort of, just a boom in PC games mm-hmm. and games with emergent gameplay that streamers really like. Totally. And that's helped uh, a lot of games like Darkest Dungeon and um, XCOM and you know the even harder strategy games like Crusader Kings or Europa Universalist or whatever. Those yeah. have all been they've all been given, they've all always had niches, but they've been given a sort of mainstream push by just that people can watch other people freak out about their characters dying.
0: Yeah, and you can you know you can name someone, uh, you can name your crusader after whoever your most popular uh, chat member is, and watch them suffer and die. You know, as, as someone who definitely did a lot of Twitch stuff over the last few years, that is a really fun uh, aspect of that stuff. And it's also, you're right. Like I, I think that probably really helps a game like Darkest Dungeon, um, where it. It you know it gives the the game that, that can be a little obtuse sometimes. It gives the player of the game a reason to be energetic and to kind of uh, translate for the audience what the fuck is going on, you know, um, explaining why, like, how the sand and the effects work, explaining what the hit percentages are like, and like all that stuff. Having an advocate for games like that definitely helps them reach that that broader audience, and I, I think that's also really complicated for lots of reasons, you know, like. I've definitely seen Twitch streamers who, you know, I've probably been the enthusiastic Twitch streamer in the past who was like, I'm so in love with this game that I basically am doing PR for this game. I know like when I was doing Invisible Ink streams, you know, a year or two ago, I definitely could feel myself shifting because I loved it so much from critic into advocate, you know? I mean, I think part of the reason that
1: we are critics is that we want to do advocacy, mm. but it's, there are times when maybe it can sound like shilling, but mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know that there's a way to avoid that when you actually are enthusiastic about something. It's because so it tough. Is good.
0: Yeah, it's a definitely, there's definitely like a rock and hard play situation of like, if you're too enthusiastic, it can come across as shilling. And if you're not enthusiastic enough, you can come across as cynical. Uh, and the honest truth is always like way more complicated than either of those things, most of the time anyway.
1: Yeah, so something like Darkest Dungeon, I have gone to bat for not necessarily because it's the game that I love the most, but it's mm-hmm. because it's such a clever game in terms of uh, sort of harmonizing its themes and its mechanics and uh, just doing enough that's slightly different mm-hmm. and interesting that I want to see more games kind of take inspiration from those ideas. Uh, not necessarily all have sanity mechanics, although I probably wouldn't mind that, but <laughs> all have sort of like meta mechanics that right. make it all tied together. A so sort of like,
0: layering of resources and and risks and all that stuff, which it does so well.
1: Right, and so I have been going to bat for it pretty hard as a super great game even though, you know, I might go back to XCOM 2 more often. Mm-hmm. I
0: might not, but uh, We'll see. I guess I guess a year from now that will be the question we can ask, is which of those two did you uh, gravitate more towards over 2016? Um, so the other thing that you're into, you mentioned was RPGs and not just MMORPGs. Uh, you know, you, you, for the site you wrote about, about Trespasser and the Dragon Age Inquisition DLC that kind of, you know, wrapped it up. I mentioned this recently on an episode of the Beastcast because I had gotten, God, 70 hours, 90 hours into that game through the first two acts, I guess, let's say, and then stalled out. Uh, and then I finally went back and beat it and really was disappointed with the ending. Deeply, deeply anticlimactic. Yeah. Um, for a lot of the reasons that you go into in this piece. Uh, and then I I was urged on by a good friend of mine to try the Trespasser DLC, and it was much more satisfying. Um, though, you know, again, for all the reasons that you set up in the piece. Uh, though, though, like you, it does make me curious about what the future of the Dragon Age franchise looks like. And, and I'm curious what you would like that to look like. Um, I mean...
1: It's hard to say exactly, like, as a, a specific thing, but mm-hmm. I – because, like, when you compare it to something like Mass Effect, Mass Effect, although it went through some pretty major changes, you still had a relative consistency of what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the games are roughly the same scope and scale, and um, they 're all trying to do a particular form of action combat that it improves on on each one right. and uh, with Dragon Age, you have like these swings in what the scope of combat is supposed to be. You have these really huge swings in what the each game is supposed to be, and it 's like I want them not necessarily to pick one of them and stick with it Mm -hmm. like you don't want them to just do dragon age or two or dragon age origins or whatever all the time but i want uh i want them to like pick a game that matches their their like story scope
0: right like whatever it is that their story is you would like it if mechanically that that felt in line Right. So, like, Inquisition
1: was trying to do this giant, super-duper epic thing, and the story it had just couldn't really support that. So, you have these huge zones. It's going to take you 80 or 90 hours unless you're, like, putting your head down and really powering through directly, story only. Right, And um, then you get to the story itself, and it's not actually... You know, interesting enough to hold that up.
0: Even and though the really, characters might be, even though the setting yeah. itself might be, the actual plot uh, of that main story maybe did not hold from moment to moment.
1: Yeah, like so people talk about how wonderful they find wandering around Skyhold and talking to their party members and so on, and this is all like, this is the best part of the game. This mm-hmm. is what's most interesting, most memorable about it, and it's, you know, a quarter of the game. Max. <laughs> right. it, unless you're You know that that's there, and you're going for it. Whereas, you know, half of the game is wandering around these giant, huge spaces and just kind of running into things and hopefully solving quests. And then the rest of it are these plot missions Mm -hmm. that are generally pretty good, but they're also like extremely linear, not Mm -hmm. open. They're not they're not calm. They don't sit down and like just talk to you like the Skyhold stuff does. So it's it's this very divided experience.
0: Is 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 that then almost also just a, a matter of consistency where the you know so so for me part, part of the problem part of the real problem I ended up wandering into was that i the zones that I had left behind before coming back to the game were all very low level zones and they were zones without a kind of um, a tier story content uh and and by that i mean in dragon age inquisition you know there are the there are the zones where there's the main story right i guess those are kind of the a tier story zones where it's like oh there's full cutscenes, lots of dialogue uh interesting camera angles big plot moments there are also there are also sections that have that stuff but are not tied to the main plot missions um there's a there's a zone that has like a a temple that's frozen in time that I always think about, and that's like a really cool zone, but it's not like core plot stuff. Um, yeah. And then there are zones, and these are the ones I was left with, where it's, there's the camera never becomes the cinematic camera. It never does shot reverse shot dialogue. It only it's only over the back of your character exploring, and that stuff maybe would have been fine if I was still in hour twenty, but by hour seventy, eighty, ninety, one hundred, it was just like, ugh. And e- if there had just been a degree of consistency, if all of those zones had been, had had all of that, that stuff in it, or even if that meant cutting a zone or two, I wonder if the the story content, even when it wasn't dramatic and, and epic, would have still at least felt consistent. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Um, it, it's... It felt like this was a deliberate rejection of what Bioware had done before as mm. well because one of the things that Bioware did to become Bioware with particularly Knights of the Old Republic is that it made every single quest have choices attached to it. Yeah. There's was like an emotional meaning to every single thing you do. You don't just go find an object, bring it back. You go find it, bring it back, decide if you're going to give it to the you know, happy orphan or give it to the evil slumlord.
0: Right, you're not saying that you know. those are necessarily the most subtle or, or interesting, there's not the best writing in the world, but, but it was at least yeah. consistent structurally. Right, and
1: um, it sort of gave these quests a reason to exist. Right. So, in in Inquisition, you have very few of these that actually have Choices that you have to make. They actually have to have reasons other than we need quests here, mm-hmm. and I found that really disappointing. Like there were there were like five moments when you actually had these really interesting ethical decisions when you're like sitting in judgment of these criminals in yeah. here. That stuff is fantastic.
0: That stuff is so good, and it is so frustrating that it was so limited. I guess it's also why you know I think this is now two years ago when when this game came out, uh, and wow. and. We, it's like 15 months. Okay, so. 15 months. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I remember being – things were kind of divisive around the war table stuff, where a lot of people felt like that war table was uh, unnecessary and was kind of the weakest part of that game. And for me, it was one of the rare places where I could at least, where I could at least role play in terms of what my character thought was right and not always just doing the, the kind of um, – the ethical math – uh, or, or not having the option at all as, as so many of the quests had, you know?
1: Yeah, I think there were a lot of interesting ideas there. I think the, the presentation could mm-hmm. probably have used more or had more
0: more manifestation
1: back still into wish, the main
0: game. I still wish there was one map instead of two. I That's the one that I'm... Totally with people on. I don't know if people remember this, but in Dragon Age Inquisition, there's this war table where you can pick missions to send your crew out on, basically. And half of it is the western half of the continent, and the other half is the eastern half. And those are, t- you have to back out of a menu to go back into another different menu to kind of turn from one side of the map to another. And it's little UI decisions like that that can be, like, not make or break necessarily, but they can have a bigger effect than what you might think they would, you know? Yeah, it's, it, it just, felt like you know it it's tacked on
1: tacked yeah. on might be a strong word but it, it's like different pieces of the puzzle that have been forced together mm-hmm. and that was like literally the case there <laughs> is that the the map was split in half when it had no reason to be there was no you're not like going across the ocean you're going a, across the middle of the map right
0: right uh, before I let you go, anything you are looking forward to this year, besides, I guess XCOM two, which which I is technically just about to come out. I think when this when this goes live.
1: Well, there are a bunch of strategy games that are pretty exciting that uh, I am uh, hopeful are going to be good. Total Warhammer in mm. April and Paradoxes Stellaris whenever it comes out. I'm I am very
0: excited for Stellaris.
1: I was very skeptical because so many so mm-hmm. many Space 4 X games just kind of turn into civilization in space and that idea doesn't work, but they seem to actually be trying to make the ideas work. And, uh, that's, that's enough for me to be paying close attention to that. Uh, Mass Effect four or Andromeda. Do you know think that actually hits this year? For. I mean, they've had enough time. It doesn't feel like it should. Yeah. It definitely feels too early. And I suppose I should perhaps mention that I am theoretically writing a book about Mass Effect that, uh, uh, Mass Effect Four is kind of my internal deadline for, right. so I'm right. a little terrified that it might actually
0: be this year. <laughs> you have to turn things around much quicker if that's the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can do it, but I might need to like take vacations from doing other things, mm-hmm. and hopefully, I will be, you know, safe enough as a freelancer to do that. But yeah. Uh, um, yeah, like they've had enough time to do it, and there are people from EA saying that like the game is basically ready, and they're just. Sp- Spending time tweaking till the Christmas season, and like I don't have any reason to disbelieve that it's coming College out way. beyond that, you know, I Shepard's story is done, so it feels like Mass Effect is done, but it doesn't have to be. I think I think going to a new a new galaxy is a really smart move for yeah. that. So
0: it, it definitely uh, leaves them a lot of opportunity and I'm really hopeful that they knock it out of the park.
1: Yeah. Um I guess we'll see. Maybe, Getting that sort of exploration vibe in in Mass Effect is probably a really good move. Firefly it up a little more, yeah, or whatever.
0: Definitely. It's the thing I miss the most from the first Mass Effect game. I'm, I am, you know, I'm definitely one of those weird weirdos who has probably played Mass Effect one more than two. Uh, or three, and I every time I play Mass Effect One, I do all of the planets to completion <laughs> because i I love the Mako, I love finding weird Torian insignias like i 'm that dude i 'm so sorry no i 'm not i 'm not sorry at all. I take it all back zero well, I mean, that zero that was the first
1: thing I published when I announced the book was you know why the mako is is so important. Mm-hmm also why it's
0: awkward but uh it gets to be both right like it gets to yeah. have both of those things in any case hopefully um you know if it does come out this year and and if your book is coming along maybe we'll have <laughs> you back on to chat about that in the future uh thanks so much for coming on Rowan. all right thanks for having me uh where can people find you actually before i let you go where can people find you to follow you and, and read your stuff right. i am at
1: twitter at rowan kaiser all one word uh, most of my stuff is being published these days. at these days at inverse which is a relatively new site that does a bunch of news and pop culture stuff and they have me as a general contributor they're writing about tv and movies and video games and nice all of the things that i want to write about
0: i can't believe and i and had so- you on this podcast for 22 minutes and and we haven't even i haven't even mentioned that you're a game of thrones fan. there's so much we'll have to revisit <laughs> it in the future uh. The game of Thrones stuff is, is embittering though so. right, That's true well, that, That's, that's, that's sometimes. for season two <laughs> Okay sounds good Thanks for coming on Rowan